Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. My name is Josh Bertram. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Grace Crossing Church. It's great to have you here this morning on this beautiful June morning. I'm going to tell a story right now that I've actually never told in public. So you guys ready? It's the story of the one and only time I have ever been on trial. I'm serious, all right? I lived in New Jersey. Forgive me, okay? I lived in New Jersey for a year, the Garden State, although I never really saw that many gardens there. But I lived there uh, during my, uh, you don't call it courtship. I was engaged to my wife, Ashley. And I was there studying to be a pastor in seminary. And I lived in this nice little duplex, had a roommate, great guy, left me alone, which was awesome. I left him alone. And then uh, one day I was driving, as I often did, uh, driving to work. I would go into New York City, into Manhattan uh, every week, and I was driving in order to get to the train station to go into New York City. And there was this intersection. And as I was coming up to it, this beautiful green light was shining on me. And then I looked down and I look up and the light is red and I'm going through it. And other lights appeared as well, out of nowhere it seemed. Uh, They were blue and red. And uh, I got pulled over. And the cop came up to me uh, I said, hello, officer, and I tried to charm him. It didn't work, needless to say. And he said, you ran that red light? I'm like, yes, I did. License and registration? Okay, so I get my license out. I give it to him, and uh, I go. I reach into my glove compartment, and I look, and I grab my insurance card, and then I, my heart sinks. Because right there on the insurance card, and those dates, you know, those really important dates, on the insurance card, it was expired. And uh, I had my renewal in the mail, and actually, um, awesome me, I had left the insurance card. I had it, and it was in my house. Anyone ever done that before? Okay. I was insured. Don't judge me, okay? I was insured, but I didn't have the proof of it on me, and uh, I was kicking myself. I'm like, oh, man, I tried to explain. The officer's like, let me stop you right there. He's like, anytime there's not proof of insurance in the state of New Jersey, you go directly to trial. And then he wrote me a ticket, didn't let me say anything, gave it to me, said, show up here, this time, this date, have a good day, walked away. And I'm like, trial? I'm a pastor in training, right? I can't go on trial, but I went to trial. I don't know why they call it trial, but I went there and I went to uh, the uh, traffic court office in Middlesex County, New Jersey, I went there and I sat in, you know, those pews and I'm sitting there and I'm watching this judge. And the scene that is coming before me is something I've never seen before and really is burned in my memory. Um, I'm sitting there and there's a young man before the judge and there's a lawyer. And his lawyer's like, your honor, according to ordinance 5.6, blah, 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 this county, blah, blah, blah. And I kid you not. The judge says, shut up. I don't care what you have to say. I'm like, ooh, this is really bad. 
I don't know what happened to the judge this morning, but he's not in a good mood. And he looks at the kid, this young guy, he's probably 18, 19, and he looks at him, and he says, I don't like you. And the judge talking to this kid, okay? I don't like you. As a matter of fact, I should throw you in jail right now. Like, I should teach you a lesson. You're arrogant. You don't care. And he just starts drilling this 19-year-old boy, right? Basically, I mean, just out of high school, couldn't be much older than that. Because the kid apparently had driven on an expired license. (laughs) And this judge was not happy about it. And he's drilling him the whole time. And the gavel is about to fall. He's like, you're going to jail. I don't like you. You're arrogant. You're going to jail. You better say goodbye and all this stuff. And I'm like, sitting there, my heart's like, ding, 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 you know, about to bump out of my chest. And he says, right at the last minute, he goes, I'm going to reduce your fine to a speeding ticket. Get out of here. I never want to see you again. And I kid you not, the kid turns around, and as he's walking out, he goes, thank you, Jesus, and walks right by me. And then Bertram, Joshua, you're next, and I'm like sweating bullets right now. This is crazy. I walk up in front of the judge, and he's like, do you have counsel? No, I don't have any representation. I didn't know I needed any. And I'm sitting there, and, and basically I explain my sob story. And he says, okay, you're free to go court costs. Bam, $250 of court costs later, you know, I don't know, what, why is it that much money? Does anyone know? Anyway, um, later, I, I, I'm free to go. So I walk out of that experience a little shaken up, right? But I've thought back to that experience often. And I've thought about how impactful that was on me. And you know, when we are in the presence of someone with authority, right? With real authority. I'm not talking about at the bar having a beer with your buddies and you guys get an argument about stats for OSU, okay? I'm not talking about when you're having, you know, coffee with your girlfriend and you guys are chatting about the latest gossip. I'm saying when you're in front of someone with real authority that they can affect your life, that with a word they can throw you in jail, it does something to you. It does something to you internally. You have such a dramatic emotional impact to the whole experience. And, you know, we always think of what we're going to do in these situations. Well, this cop says this, this judge says this, whoever says this. Well, I'm going to say, these are my rights, this, 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 and this. Well, that's fine if that's you. But me, if I got the sheriff with a gun and I got the cop who can throw me in jail for contempt of court, I'm shutting up and I'm listening to what he says. Because when there's someone with authority, real, true authority, it changes us. And we become overwhelmed by that experience, don't we? And when we're overwhelmed by that experience of someone with that kind of influence and authority, it does something to us. We tend to forget about ourselves a little bit. It turns more to fear. It's not thinking about my rights and what I want. In my opinion, it's more like I'm just in the presence of someone with greater authority in me, and I'm just impacted by it. You cannot get away from it. And when we're going into this series, Overwhelmed, I want to make one point very, very clear. 
When people encountered Jesus, they were overwhelmed by him. And the reason they were overwhelmed with him is because they had never met someone with such authority in their entire lives. Everything about Jesus spoke of his great power. And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount during this series, we're going to encounter some of the most impactful teachings of Jesus ever. And if there's one thing clear about who Jesus was, he was a man with authority. The entire birth of Jesus, so surrounded by mystery and supernatural phenomenon. Matthew, one of the authors of the gospel, an eyewitness to the accounts of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, a man who was a tax collector, hated for what he did. Jesus called him to follow him, and he said, yes, Matthew wrote a gospel, and in that gospel, he makes a point, and he tries to make a point very clearly. Jesus is Unique. There is something different about Jesus. And so in his gospel, he outlines the birth of Christ, and he goes, and there's 30 years or you know, 20-something years of silence between his birth and when he comes onto the scene in ministry. And when Matthew tells us, if we were to look it up and look into the gospel of Matthew, what we would see is that Jesus comes and he faces two things right from the get-go. He goes into his baptism, and in his baptism, the very voice of God tells him and affirms him that he is his son, that he is pleased with him, and that he has anointed him. He has commissioned him to do something great. And right after that, he faces his greatest enemy, Satan. The devil himself faces Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus, unlike every single predecessor before him, does not lose, but wins. He faces Satan and he comes out victorious. And right from there, he is commissioned with a purpose. We see a glimpse into that purpose in Matthew 4, 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He had a mission to preach about God's kingdom, something different than anything else the world had ever seen. And so with his mission, as any good leader does, he begins to marshal a team around him. And we see that he calls his first disciples. And once he does that, he goes in and begins to teach. In the Sermon on the Mount, the thing that we're going to go over is the longest teaching recording that we have of anything that Jesus has said, and it is unbelievably profound. And as Jesus taught this, it affected people. And in this series, what I want to do this week and next week is I want to actually begin with the end. There's two things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the response of the crowds to Jesus. And I want to talk about Jesus' bottom line, his big idea of his entire sermon. This week, we're going to talk about the response of the crowds. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus' big idea 
in his sermon, the way he ends it. We're going to begin with the end in mind because that, those two things are going to frame for us the entire sermon. And we're going to have those in mind as we go through each one of these sections of the sermon, big sections, smaller sections. As we go through it, we're going to have to remember what was Jesus' bottom line and how did people respond to it. And the question of how people respond is, I think, is a really important one because it is instructive for us on how we should respond. When you look in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, you see that when Jesus had finished saying these things, these things refers to the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's found in chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. It says the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Now that word amazed is a very interesting word. If you actually go and look up what it means, what you would find is that they had an enormous emotional reaction to Jesus. They were so astonished and amazed to the point of being overwhelmed. And that not only were they overwhelmed by what Jesus had said and who he was, but that over feeling of being overwhelmed carried with them for weeks. They couldn't get over what Jesus had said and done. They couldn't stop thinking about it. And see, Jesus, if he is anything, and if he had any impact on anyone, we can see the primary reason for that right here. Look what it says. He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So, what was it about Jesus? What was it about his authority? Why did they think this way? Well, what I want to present to you, to, you, to you today, and I hope that you will take time to consider it, and that you will come to the place of believing it, is that there's two reasons, two components to Jesus' authority. The first one is the way Jesus taught, what he taught. The teachings of Jesus were so radically profound and earth-shattering that they left people speechless. And the second thing are the miraculous powers that were evident in all of Jesus' ministry. He was completely different from anybody else. And when you think about Jesus' teaching... What you think about is there's two components to that. The first is the content of the teaching, what Jesus said, and the second is the way in which Jesus said it, the style of his teaching. And both of those unequivocally communicated Jesus' authority in all of life to everyone he encountered and beyond. So the content of Jesus' preaching was very interesting. If you were to go and you were to begin to look through the Sermon on the Mount, which I hope you take some time to look through it, you'd find some interesting things. First, Matthew 5, 17 through 18, uh, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus actually says that he is the fulfillment of the entire law that God gave. Nobody else said things like that. Go a few verses more into 21 through 22. It says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And just so we can get it through our, our minds just a little bit, what he was saying, he says it again in 25 through 29. He says, you've heard it said, right? You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he says, I tell you, Time and time and time again. And the point is clear. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting great authorities in the Jewish time. And Jesus is saying, look, all these people have said this, but I tell you, he's not quoting anybody but himself. No one had ever taught in that way with that kind of authority. The content of his teaching was literally, it was overwhelming. It made people speechless. Not only that, but he actually made the claims that if you don't apply what he's saying, that you're heading on the road to destruction. Matthew 7, 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who puts these words of mine... And they put them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We're going to actually talk about this whole passage next week, but he compares a foolish and wise man. And if you put his words into practice, you are wise. If you don't, you are foolish. He doesn't put a middle in there. He actually makes this claim, and he even says that there are grave consequences. Not only that, but grave consequences for ignoring him. Matthew 7, 21 through 22 says, not everyone who says to me, says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? But notice they're talking to Jesus. They're talking to him. He is the one who makes the judgment on this final day that he's talking about. It's his word that carries. Nobody ever talked like this. It's no wonder that again, we see in Matthew 7, 28 and 29 that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teacher's of the law, the way Jesus talked, how he quoted himself. See, at that time, if you wanted to have any kind of say or any kind of hearing at all, you had to quote an authority. It's no different today. Do you remember when you were a kid? What would you say? Well, my dad said so, right? That's why it's true. My dad said so. My parents say so. You're quoting an authority. When you get into middle school and high school, well, my friend said so. 
or all the friends are doing it. My crowd, in order to click, that's what's happening. You're quoting an authority. When you get to college, well, professor so-and-so said so. You're quoting an authority. Once you get out of there, well, my boss says so, or my mentor says so, or that study says so, or that book said so, or that preacher or political pundit or whoever it was, they said so. We quote authorities all the time in order to give ourselves credibility. Jesus never once quotes anybody but himself. Nobody talked that way. He was different then and he is different now. Nobody made the claims that Jesus made. But Jesus didn't just make claims. Guys, he didn't just teach challenging things and say these things that challenged people, but he proved it. He authenticated every word that ever came out of his mouth through his power and through his miracles. There's this great passage that actually kind of gives you a summary of what Jesus did. It's Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, just, just stop there for a second. You know, we just read over these things and we get so glossy-eyed in them, we don't even let them affect us anymore. He healed every disease and sickness among the people. He came into churches and synagogues and he said, cancer, get out of here, and it was gone. He went into churches and synagogues and he went into marketplaces and he saw someone who was paralyzed and he says, get up, and they were healed. He saw people who were blind and he said, see, and they saw. He saw people who were deaf and he put his hands on their ears and he healed them. They could hear again. People who were demon possessed. Now look, I get that we don't like talking about that in our culture. I understand, but guys, we're unique in the world. You go to South America, you go to Asia, you go to Africa, you go to any of the places where they understand what's happening here. The demonic is real. The spiritual realm is real. And people are oppressed, horribly oppressed by these evil spirits. And Jesus, with a word, commands them and they leave. His power was unmatched. It was unbelievable. It was mind-bending the things that he did. News spread, people brought to him, those suffering, those demon-possessed, having Caesars, those paralyzed. They brought all these people to him and he healed them. He healed them, every single one of them with a word and it doesn't stop there. When you begin to look at the gospels, Jesus walks on water. Jesus, with one word, rebukes a storm like a child. Everywhere Jesus goes, his power is evident. It is completely just all over his ministry. No one since, no one before has ever been like Jesus. His power is unmatched, unparalleled in all of human history with a word. Things changed. Now guys, when's the last time you spoke to the wind and it stopped? When is the last time you spoke to a sickness and it left? Jesus is different. 
And the reason that we have the record of what we have of Jesus is that we can see that his power was unmatched and it authenticated everything he said. See, if we don't come to the teachings of Jesus, to the scriptures that he gave us, if we don't come to Jesus himself, to these stories, to these ideas in the Bible and understand that Jesus is Lord, that he has ultimate authority, that his power is unmatched, we will never read them as they are meant to be read. See, sometimes we think Jesus just gives us suggestions. But he never says that. When we come to the words of Jesus, we come to God. His very words. Nobody can forgive sins but God. No one can stop wind with a word but God. No one can change the molecular structure of water so you can walk on it but God. We can't do that. God can. And so Jesus has authority. Unmatched, unparalleled authority. So it's no wonder. It is no wonder that the crowds responded with amazement. Matthew 7, 28, again, when he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So as we look at this, the question that always burns in my mind, and it's a a good thing, a good practice to do anytime you come to the Bible, you ask the question, what is this passage trying to answer? What question is this passage trying to answer? In other words, why did God include it in his word? Why did the author include it in the story? Well, I think the reason that this response of the crowd is in there is to answer the question, the simple question of how do we respond to Jesus' authority? What is the appropriate response? And I think there's two appropriate responses. The first one is that of amazement. And the second one is that of obedience. Matthew 8, 1 says that the crowds, when Jesus came down, they followed him. They followed him. Now, when I think about amazement, here's what I mean. People had a deep and profound emotional reaction to Jesus. See, we, we kind of want to put Jesus in a corner sometimes, and we kind of just want to gloss over what he says and not really worry about it, that it doesn't affect our lives. Unfortunately, we've ne- we're never given that option. See, when you actually begin to look at what Jesus claims about himself, you see that there are only a few options. Either he's a legend, they made him up. Either he's a liar, right, or arrogant, right? Or he's a lunatic, he's crazy, or he's Lord. Or he's exactly who he says he is. I mean, I mean, is he a legend? Well, 
It's hard for me to believe and find a reason why the disciples and the apostles would have want to make it up. All of the disciples and apostles but one were tortured and killed for their faith. Why would they want to make up a story and then a story they knew was false and made up? Why would they die for that story? And the gospels don't read like legends. They read like ancient history. And so if you want to say, well, Jesus didn't exist, he was made up, then you need to say Plato didn't exist, Plato was made up. You need to say Caesar didn't exist, Caesar was made up. You need to say Aristotle didn't exist, Aristotle was made up. You need to say every major character, every major event in ancient history that we know of is made up because there's more evidence for Jesus. It has been more broken apart and analyzed in any other piece of ancient literature by far. Legend just doesn't make sense. Was he a liar? Was he insane? Was he arrogant? Well, would an arrogant person tell us to love our enemies? Would an arrogant person tell us to forgive those who hurt us? Would an arrogant person hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and outcasts? Would an arrogant person, when given the opportunity, because all the crowds wanted to put Jesus up as king, would an arrogant person deny that and instead choose crucifixion, torture, and death? I don't think an arrogant person would do that. I don't think someone would go to the grave for a lie. Now, was he a lunatic? Now, is it really imaginable that some of the greatest literature in all of history, the Bible who has been on great list of great books after great books after great books, is it really imaginable that such depth, such such use of metaphor, such, such exciting stories, such logical ideas, is it really, um, is it really possible that such a depth of understanding and meaning and power in the words that we read that have been recognized worldwide, is it really possible that it's all coming from the disjointed and disconnected musings of a lunatic? So if he's not legend, he's not liar and arrogant, he's not, he's not a lunatic, then what is he? See, we want to put Jesus in a box, but he doesn't give us that option. People always had a reaction to Jesus. They hated him. They loved him. They were affected by him, overwhelmed by him, plotted to kill him, but no one was ever neutral about Jesus. Because being indifferent about Jesus isn't really, isn't really an option for us if we're honest with ourselves. And so when we encounter Jesus, it should do something inside. We should have an intense emotional reaction. And if we're honest and we look at it truthfully, we will have a reaction. We will react to his claims one way or the other. We should react with amazement and we should also react with obedience. If Jesus asks us to do one thing, he asks us to follow him. Matthew 9, 23 through 26, I mean Luke rather, says whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. 
See, Jesus doesn't give an option that, hey, you know, when you see my words, you might maybe think they're cool or nice ethical teachings or, man, yeah, they're, they're great suggestions or oh, that'd be an awesome life to live by, but it's not that good of a deal. He was a great philosopher. He was a great wise man. No, 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 no. Jesus gives none of those options. Those are things we try to put onto Jesus, never anything that he gave us an option to do ourselves. When it comes to Jesus, we have to answer the question, will I follow him or won't I follow him? And he always gives every single one of us a choice. We are never forced to follow him yet. We will all have a choice in this life what we do. And you can choose to deny and to move away from Christ and to not take his word seriously, but you cannot choose to not face the consequences of that decision. Jesus was very clear about who he was and the authority that he had. And he commanded, he didn't suggest He commanded that if you want to follow the real way, the way of truth, the way of life, if you want to obey God who's created all things, who has the right, the only one who has the right to determine what's good and wrong, then you need to follow Jesus. We can look into the gospels and see it for ourselves. And so we ask ourselves, what, why does this matter? How can I see this in my life, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't make sense. Well, maybe, maybe you're a judgmental person. I know I can be pretty judgmental at times. Right? And maybe you're a judgmental person and people have talked to you about it and you've judged them for it. Anyone ever done that? All right. And, and one day your boss calls you in and he says, listen, I've noticed that you've been super judgmental lately and it's, and, and it's created an arrogant attitude in you. And as a matter of fact, none of your colleagues want to hang out with you anymore. They want to be taken off the project with you because you won't listen to what they say. And you're super judgmental towards them. And your boss knows you're a Christian. And he kind of says as you're leaving, hey, didn't Jesus say something about judge ye not yeast ye be judged? or something like that. And you smile and feign, you know, deference, and then you walk away and you're seething with anger. You can't believe that your boss called you out like that. You're so mad at all your coworkers, and then you head home and it hits you like a ton of bricks. Wait, didn't in Sunday school or in my church classes, didn't, we, didn't Jesus say something about this? So you Google and you say, judgment sayings Jesus. And you find, lo and behold, Matthew 7, 1 through 2, Jesus says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, you it will be measured to you. And it hits you like a ton of bricks. And you realize I have been judgmental. As a matter of fact, I judge people on the things that I struggle with myself. And I feel like a hypocrite all the time, but it gives me a sense of superiority and control when I'm able to pronounce judgment on someone else. And so you see this in the conviction of God comes on you and you're angry. You have an emotional reaction. You become overwhelmed with all the feelings inside, but then you realize you need to make things right. So you go to your coworkers, you apologize, you give them permission to call you out if you are being too judgmental. And as you work through this process, you realize as the weeks go by, man, not only am I not judging as much, but I don't feel like I need to judge as much. And you have this strong emotional reaction to Jesus and you remember back 
when God brought to you his word and you committed to living in obedience and he changed your life. Or maybe you have an employee that's not cutting it and you need to fire him. So you call him in and you sit him down and you say, you know, I hate to do this. And your employee says, let me stop you right there. I know I've been screwing up lately. And then he begins to weep. And you ask him what's going on and what's happening. And he begins to tell you that he has an unbelievable addiction to pornography. And that his wife has become so tired of this addiction that she has found someone else and she is leaving. She can't handle it anymore. That his daughters call him every night, his preschool and elementary daughters call him crying, asking him when he's going to be home again. And that his son, his 15-year-old son, said, I hate you, Dad. I never want to see you again because of what you did to us. And on top of that, his mom's cancer has metastasized. And because of that stress in his life, he is going back again and again to this addiction and he just can't handle it. And now it's affecting his work. It's affecting everything in life. And he's about to not only lose his wife, his kids, but his job as well. And in that moment, you have a moment of clarity and God brings to your mind Matthew seven twelve. So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And you hear the voice of God. Whisper to your heart. What would you want someone to do if you were in that situation? And you know immediately, you would want grace. You would want a second chance. You would want a way, to, a way to make things right. Not a handout, but you'd want a way out. You'd want a clear path. And so that's what you do. You make him commit to get counseling. You offer to subsidize marriage counseling if his wife will be willing. You make him talk to his, all of his workers and his project and make sure that they can stay on top of things. You have weekly check-in meetings with him until it's better and you give him a couple weeks of paid leave so that he can get his life sorted out. And as you think about it, and you reflect on it, tears come to your eyes, overwhelming joy that God used you to change someone's life. You invite them to church and you pray for them. Amazed. Amazed when we encounter Jesus in a commitment to walking in obedience to following him. You know, when I was 16 years old, I was not following Christ. I grew up in a Christian church, but I didn't care. My dad was a pastor, is a pastor, but I didn't care. I was starting to sell drugs, certainly doing drugs. I was angry. I would slap Bibles out of people's hands <laughs> at youth group. I would make fun of them. I'd just go and hit someone on the back of the head because I didn't like them. I'd start fights. And one day, after a series of events, I was in a service similar to this one, and I was sitting back there, and I heard the voice of Jesus call to me in my mind, in my heart, and say, Josh, 
you need to change. You're running from me and it's time to stop. And in that moment, I felt something I'd never felt before. It was so hard to describe. It was unbelievable. And the voice of God, I don't know how else to explain it. He just said to me, am I better than drugs? Am I better than drugs? And I had to respond, yes. I was having such a deep reaction, and I wept. Man, I mean, I covered the floors, the floor in tears because I was, I was sorry for what I did. I was repenting of my sin. I felt the overwhelming presence of Jesus Christ, and it lingered with me for weeks. I encountered Christ, and he changed me, and he gave me power to live a different life. Life. And today that power is available. And if you feel God tugging on your heart, I hope that you will respond and encounter Jesus this morning. We're going to have some people up here praying, I mean, ready to pray with you. We're going to watch a short song, it's a video, it's a powerful song. And during this time, there's two questions I want you to ask. I want you to ask yourself, how am I responding to Jesus? How am I reacting to Jesus' words? How should I react? Be honest. If you're angry, say I'm angry. If you're happy, say you're happy. If you're doubtful, say you're doubtful. If you're confused, say you're confused. You will have a reaction. It is guaranteed when you begin to take Jesus seriously. And the second thing, once I know what he's saying, how am I going to follow him? What am I going to do to obey Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.